All right, we, uh, for those of you who are new with us or haven't been here for a little while, we, uh, we're in a sermon series in the book of Acts. We're just kind of walking through uh, kind of section by section, sometimes even almost verse by verse. Uh, so last week we were in Acts chapter 5, uh, we, and we're back there today again as well. We're just kind of continuing on. So last week we talked about uh, two characters, that, uh, uh, two, two early disciples of Jesus who met their uh, their fateful demise, uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, not, not the most fun of stories. Uh, today's text, which is like the next little section, I'm just going to... Uh, today's, today's text, uh, which is the next section in Acts 5, is, is somewhat of a follow-up to that story, to... Can you hear me now still? All right, good. Uh, To Ananias and Sapphira. But I also want to suggest that there's maybe like something bigger going on. Like, so it's, it's a follow-up to a very specific story and it has a very specific context. But I think there's something like a bigger, grander story uh, going on that, that I feel is, is still pretty relevant for us today. So we're just going to jump right in, into the text. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're in Acts 5, verse 12. Uh, or, or if you have it on your phone, or uh, that, that'd be helpful because there, there's obviously no screen out here to put it on. But let's just—we're just going to read this one little section, like five verses here. So uh, Acts 5, verse 12: uh, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, uh, which is sometimes uh, translated as, as Solomon's portico or, or Solomon's porch is a way of, of thinking about it. Uh, Solomon's colonnade is, is this little porch off the eastern side of the temple. So they're still in Jerusalem. You can imagine uh, there's all these kind of entrances and there's this kind of porch on the east side of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and one of those is called Solomon's porch. Uh, so that's where they're at. Uh, verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Like That's how powerful, how big they're, they're getting, even... Even his shadow is healing people. Crazy. Uh, verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Okay. That's the, that's the story for today. For me, there's one verse, though, in that section that I think really stands out. And I didn't really want it to because it was a verse that didn't make sense. And I knew that the fact that it stood out and yet it didn't make sense meant I like needed to do more research than I was hoping to have to do or I was forced to wrestle with like, what, the, what does that even mean? But there's this verse that just kept standing out and, and it's verse 13 where it says, no one else j- dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. I, I kept reading that passage and just couldn't get past this line. No one else dared to join them. It's a confusing line. It's, it's kind of strange. 
And I found myself wondering and curious about, about what it meant or whether it even mattered. And, and, and I never want to read too much into a passage. I don't want to read too, uh, like something into a passage that's not there. So I, I kept asking myself this question throughout the process, like, am I making this up? Uh, and do I just need to start over and start from scratch? But I think there's, I think there's something here that's worth our exploration. So, so let's kind of let's kind of think through the story here of what's happening. So, so we're through the first four and a half chapters of Acts. We're uh, we're in, we're partway through chapter five, and it's just been a tidal wave of activity so far. Think about everything that's happened. It's been the miraculous and the marvelous. There's been significant speeches and sermons. There's been healings and hordes of people. There have been arrests and imprisonments. Uh, there have been beautiful pictures of kind of this new Christian community that's emerging. And, all, and almost all of it has just been amazing. Rest in peace, Ananias and Sapphira. That wasn't so amazing. But, but all, everything other than that has just been amazing. Like so so incredible and now it, it seems like there's this hangout spot for the disciples they've got they're still in jerusalem they haven't left yet and there's this spot that they're hanging out solomon's colonnade or, or solomon's porch uh, but when this isn't the first time that we've seen solomon's porch come up it actually was mentioned uh, in chapter three but when solomon's porch is mentioned in chapter three the text says that all the people came running up to the disciples on the porch. It, it, so so this, this time in chapter 5, it's different. The first time in chapter 3, all the people come running up. They're willing to come up on the porch, uh, and they're bringing their needs, they're bringing their, their community, they're bringing themselves to the disciples on the porch. But now, in chapter 5... It seems like this place has become the cool hangout just for the inner circle. It's this place where they don't feel welcome. There, there's become this division be, between the, the leaders, the ones in charge, the insiders, the most faithful, and everyone else. So much so that no one dared to join them. So in two chapters, but yet a whole bunch of ministry there's been this shift. In chapter 3, they're rushing up on the porch to be with the disciples. By chapter 5, no one dares to join them. And to be, I mean, to be fair, I don't blame them because everyone just witnessed what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. That, that if you don't do this Jesus-following thing exactly right, who knows what will happen to you? Ananias and Sapphira were we're kind of sketchy people. They're trying to game the system and get more credit than they deserved. Uh, they're intentionally and deceptively, deceptively holding back faithfulness. But, but this event, these two deaths, has certainly served to create an unhealthy distinction between the leaders and everyone else, between the most faithful and everyone else. This this story that we talked about last week has kind of codified this, this, this distinction between the people that belong on Solomon's porch and the people that don't dare join them. It, it's, and, it's, and it's not, I don't blame the apostles entirely. It's, it's not like the apostles are, are old cranky men yelling, stay off my porch, like I've alluded to in my, in my sermon title this morning in your bulletin. 
uh, but they've definitely helped facilitate this split between the leadership and everyone else. They haven't worked very hard to narrow that gap. In fact, I think they've done some things to split that. So here's what I think is going on here. This, uh, it is so hot. I feel like we're in Jerusalem. Okay, uh, here's what I think is going on here. This little band of Jesus people uh, that, that kind of get re-energized after the resurrection, that are still hanging around in Jerusalem, has suddenly become massive. Like this, this thing has taken off, uh, like wildfire. This thing is suddenly a megachurch, right? Thousands have been added to their number daily on multiple occasions thus far. So this tiny little cell of Jesus followers now has become this megachurch. We're talking big. This, this thing has become huge. There's new people daily, sometimes in droves, and they haven't even left Jerusalem yet. It's going nuts. And the sense I get from this passage is that the apostles have become rock star megachurch celebrities. They're, they're the people in Jerusalem. They're, they're it. They're the guys. They're the ones that everyone wants to be around. Uh, and for a while, people were showing up at their hangout place, this porch on the east side of the temple, asking for help, freely interacting with these leaders, and, and, and treating them like normal people. But now, I think the apostles' reputation precedes them. There are stories that speak to their power and spiritual authority. They are big freaking deals in Jerusalem. They're, they're a big deal at this point, which, which has brought about a ton of conversions and, and church growth, and that is awesome, seriously awesome. So believe me, I'm not trying to throw these guys entirely under the bus. It, it's great that so many people are coming to faith in Christ, and it's awesome when that happens with big churches today. I, I can remember my first time, I must have been 21 or something, my first time I walked into Willow Creek Community Church in, in Chicago, and my jaw just drops at like, the splendor of the site, like how big the auditorium is and how many things are going on. And it's just, it's just crazy. And part of me critiques that, but part of me is like, this is, there's crazy number of numbers of people that are turning their life to Christ. I remember a story like that first time where they said, oh yeah, last week, like 500 people got baptized in the pond that's like outside of the Willow Creek building. So that's amazing. That's awesome. That's worth, that's worth celebrating. We, we should celebrate it. But this massive church growth here in Acts has also brought about a different sort of leadership. Something is changing here. People are afraid of them. And I don't think it's in some sort of like fearful, cowardly sort of way, like, like they're going to get beat up by these. It's not that kind of fear. Uh, but it, it's sort of the fear that you would have if you saw a celebrity. Like if somebody walked by right now and it's like your favorite actor, your favorite musician, just like walked by on the street uh, and, and it'd be like, do I approach them? Do I, I, don't, I don't know. Like do I run up to them or do I, give, do I give them their space? Maybe some of you have been in that spot where you've seen that person in the airport and it's like, do I go up? I don't know, I don't know what to do, and there's kind of that, that fear and trepidation there. I think that's what's happening here. Uh, 
you, we'd be awkwardly uncomfortable approaching them. And I think that's what's happened with these mega church celebrity all-star uh, apostles here in Jerusalem. Uh, this, uh, people are afraid of them. Uh, and they'll get their act together in time and correct their ways eventually. But for now, these leaders of the early church have led in a way that isn't humble and collaborative and empowering of others. And they've created a space where people don't dare join them. Like, like they, don't dare, they don't dare do that. And I think this only gets for, further reinforced by the fact that when you consider the next chapter, chapter 6 in Acts, uh, the, th this is where we get the creation of deacons. Like the size and the scope of, of the church, the, the needs of the community are growing so rapidly that people are actually being neglected. Like people aren't being cared for in this new community of Christ. And so they're forced to recruit some more helpers, some deacons to start caring for people. There, there's been a whole lot of public limelight sort of ministry taking place. There's been preaching and healing and standing up to authorities, but there hasn't been a whole lot of backstage ministry where people are being taken care of and, and loved and, and pastors. And it's created a culture where people don't even feel free to approach these rock star preachers. Which means that what has happened is actually the antithesis of the priesthood of all believers, of the royal priesthood. This, this, this is supposed to be a movement where everyone is a pastor, where everyone plays a role, where everyone is a vital part of the ongoing movement and expansion of God's kingdom, but suddenly people don't feel invited or welcome to the party. The apostles, I think, at least for this moment, again, they're going to get this thing figured out. They're going to correct their course. But at this moment, the apostles have gotten out of step with the way leadership is supposed to function within a kingdom paradigm. They've gotten away from the type of leadership that Jesus has just modeled for the past three years. Jesus, Jesus never considered equality with God something to be grasped. He was never looking for notoriety or attention. Everyone was always welcome on his metaphorical porch. So these early leaders have lost touch with Jesus' very model of leadership. And the followers have succumbed to this unhealthy leadership model as well, that they're not willing to even go up and approach these people that have become big shots. So both sides have kind of lost the plot here. They're not willing to approach the apostles. And I think this is always the danger of leadership. That the leader will become too big, too popular, too powerful. That they will lose the original point of leadership, which is to be with people and for people and, and walking alongside people. And I think that this happens in all leadership. In the broader world, and it happens here in the church. I mean... Think about our current billionaire space race that's taking place in our world right now. A bunch of rich, powerful dudes that have lost the plot of real leadership and made it all about their own power and achievements. I mean, imagine if these guys used their position, their power, their resources to actually make a difference in the world instead of engaging in some galactic battle of egos. Like, uh, imagine if they use the billions of dollars they're spending to fly around in space to actually cure diseases or feed children or end homelessness or a million other things 
that it would actually uh, require real leadership. That it would actually be a real sort of leadership. Uh, or I've seen it in churches as well. Big churches where, where uh, pastors get too big for their britches and, and it all comes crumbling down sometimes very, very quickly. But I've seen it in, in smaller churches as well where, where churches start out with, with beautiful visions for ministry in their community but the second that they start to get big, a switch flips in the pastor and they become more interested in a megachurch mentality than a foot-washing posture of leadership. It happens all the time. Now, I think this idea has a number of ways that it can and should be made practical for us. So far, this is all kind of theoretical. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think there's some wisdom for us here, whether we are leaders or participants of a group. Like, think about all the groups that you're a part of in your life. Uh, I would guess that, that for most of you, there are certain groups that you are a part of where you, you kind of function as a leader, even if there's no, even if you don't have a title, like you kind of, you're kind of the main leader in that group or you're one of them. Uh, and there are probably groups in your life where I just kind of show up to this. I'm kind of a participant in this group. I'm guessing that for most of you, you function in both of those roles all week long. I do that as well. Sometimes we're the leaders and sometimes we're not. And, and I think there's a word for us here for both of those situations. For the times in our, in our, our, our life, in our week, where we are the leader and the times when we're not. So... If you're in leadership, if you think about the, the places in your life where you are a leader, if you're in leadership, whether here at the church or with your job or with your group of friends or, or with some organization where you volunteer or, or, uh, or you're on a board or something, if you're, if you're a leader in a group, if you're a teacher, uh, we must be aware of and cautious about the type of leader that we are you think about the places where you're a leader, I, I think uh, the, the, that leadership role necessitates a certain amount of self-awareness and kind of a caution uh, about what type of leader we are being it, at, at that time, in that place, with that group. Like, do we like the power and authority that we have there? Do we relish that? Do we long for the limelight and attention? Do we love having all the responsibility and doing everything for everyone? Do I like the fact that, that I just get to do everything and, and then everyone gets to turn and say, well, well done, leader? Do we like that? Ha have we created or contributed to a system where we are absolutely needed and if we left, like the whole, the whole organization would just crumble or the whole thing would just fall apart? Uh, where the thing can't go on without us. Is our leadership contributing to a closed system where there's an inner circle, where there's the, the metaphorical porch where only the cool people hang out and everyone else feels intimidated to approach? That, that can so easily happen in leadership. Uh, or are we leading in a way that includes everyone, that empowers everyone, where we use our power, our authority, our leadership abilities for the good of the group and not for our own selfish ambitions? Do we recognize 
our natural tendencies to want attention and power and exclusivity because that will naturally come in any leadership role and yet do we push back against those inclinations uh, in order to create spaces of belonging and participation and collaboration where, where people will freely join us on the porch like do we recognize the places where like this could become a porch where no one dares join us here but I'm gonna push back against that I'm gonna disassemble any sort of in out kind of system that I've put in place uh, and I'm gonna make sure that there's room for everyone here we, we all are leaders in certain places and groups so how will we steward our leadership will it get to our heads or will we serve from our hearts? And then, in those places where we're just a participant, whether that's here at the church or, or kind of out there in our workplaces or volunteer opportunities or with our friend groups, those places where we just kind of show up and no one's in charge, or at least I'm, I'm not in charge, uh, are we just content, uh, comfortable, just showing up, skating by, doing our time, letting the, the real leaders kind of take care of everything, or will we fight our fears and confidently approach the metaphorical porch of ministry? Because none of us are meant to just be passive participants in any group. We're meant, we're meant to serve and, and, and participate, and even if we're not in leadership roles, we're still meant to be involved uh, in, in so many, we're, we're, we're supposed to go up on the porch and kind of be in this together, all of us. Uh, God's ministry and work and service and leadership in general, whether at the church or in the world, was never meant to be done by just a few people. We all play a role. So, so I think for the, word for the word for us in those places where we're not in charge is that we, we still need to be able to resist that kind of fear, that uncomfortability that comes and, and dare to join the leaders on the porch and pitch in, lend a hand, be active and helpful and not passive and helpless. So let's work hard to avoid either of these unhealthy binaries. Let's, let's never be leaders that let power and esteem and privilege and popularity get to our heads. Let's push, push back against the lure of the megachurch mindset. Let's refuse to create places or systems that box people in or out of real ministry and community. Uh, and let's never be participants in a group that refuse to break through those made-up barriers uh, so that we can actually participate and serve and lead. Because we are a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. And to be the new community of Jesus in the world is going to take all of us actively engaged in ministry, in the ministry of God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these early disciples, these early apostles, uh, who have so much to teach us, uh, who did so many incredible things, uh, and yet they're just humans. They're, they're flawed people that aren't perfect. And, and so can we name the ways in which they're awesome and amazing? Uh, and yet also learn from the ways in which they don't do it right either. And they create some systems where, where it's not as healthy as, as it ought to be. Uh, help us to be people who lead really well in the, in the places where you have given us leadership opportunities. And help us to be people who, who won't just stay off the porch, but, but will push in in the places where we're not uh, active leaders, 
to still be active participants in those places and help us to all participate together in the ministry, the work that you're doing uh, in our community, in our world, uh, never just allowing one person or one group to kind of do it all. We're all in this together. Thank you for this, Jesus. Uh, help us to do this with wisdom and, uh, and courage. In Jesus' name, amen.